3: From KQED.
2: Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Apple has tried to build a reputation as the big tech company that cares about your privacy. They once famously created a billboard that read What happens on your phone stays on your phone. But last week, the company broke with its previous policies and announced that they'd begin checking photos uploaded to the company's servers against a known registry of child pornography. While this might appear to be an uncontroversial good, not everyone is sure that it's the right solution for balancing the protection of children with the privacy of everyone. We'll dig in with a panel of experts after the news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Last week, Apple announced several different measures to combat what's known around the technology world as CSAM, Child Sexual Abuse Material. The company has lagged behind other technology firms, but with this announcement, they've offered a new and complex approach, and it has generated a ton of questions, criticisms, and praise. John Clark, president of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, said in a statement, Apple's expanded protection for children is a game-changer. The reality is that privacy and child protection can coexist. But for privacy advocates, the real worries are what lies just down the slope and how slippery it might get. Here to talk with us are two people who've been involved in issues like this for years. Alex Stamos, now the director of the Stanford Internet Observatory, was the chief security officer at Facebook as well as at Yahoo where he had responsibility for CSAM. Welcome, Alex.
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: And we also have Jennifer Granick, Surveillance and Cybersecurity Counsel with the American Civil Liberties Union and the author of the book, American Spies, Modern Surveillance, Why You Should Care and What to Do About It. Welcome to the show, Jennifer.
5: Thank you. Nice to be here.
2: So before we get to Apple's move specifically, I just want to set the context for people who haven't really been tracking these issues closely. Alex Damos, can you describe the landscape for us going into Apple's announcement? What were other technology companies doing around these same issues?
4: Yeah. Um, And first off, I just want to thank you for for covering this because I I do think it is a really important issue on both the child safety side and on the privacy side. Um, The sexual abuse of children is probably the worst thing that happens online on a day-to-day basis. We've had lots of discussion, as you can imagine, over the last couple of years about misinformation, disinformation, about hate speech, um, uh, about, you know, uh, vaccine information and such. All those things are really important. But something that has been constant for the last 20 years or so has been that the internet has been used to facilitate the abuse of children. And so that—that that is kind of one of the worst things that happened in the early internet. And as a result, it is the area where there is the most cooperation between tech companies and, and the most cooperation between tech companies and the US government. Um, so going into this, the standard kind of deal that has been made is that if you upload a photo to a major site that allows you to share it with others, it is most likely being scanned to see whether it is a known piece of child sexual abuse material. The so organization Facebook, that court- Google
2: so, photo, Facebook, Google Photos, like all these kind of uh, services where you'd upload photos, they would be scanning those.
4: That's right. If, if you send a photo to the cloud, it is very likely it gets scanned. Facebook, Google. Microsoft, Dropbox. You know, if, if you create a Google Drive folder and you share it with somebody, if you put something in Dropbox, if you upload photos to uh, a Facebook album, if you send them via Facebook Messenger, and all of those situations, those companies will compare the photo against a huge list of known photos that are known to be traded of children being abused that is maintained by the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, which you, you just mentioned. Um, and so those companies work together and they trade information on this, and then they also work with Mick for to move around where are called hashes or fingerprints of these photos and to check them. And, and that that has been kind of the standard for about a decade now. Um, and there are fights over exactly how it should be done, of what kind of photos you should check for and such. Um, but that has effectively been how the companies have operated. And as a result, they report roughly something like 20 million incidents a year to 20 ICMIC. million. Yes, so the, the scale of this is actually incredibly large. Um, and that is one of the things that shocks people when they first get involved. Uh, you know, if you work at a tech company and you first get pulled over into the child safety side, is just the incredible volume of how many people are are trading this stuff. There's also a bunch of different kinds of abuse types that aren't the trading of images that I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but this is really focused on, like, existing CSAM that has been created, um, and in some cases traded for for years or decades. Wow.
2: And in the kind of simplest terms Apple has done two pretty different things. And I was wondering if maybe we could go to each one. One is the one that we were just talking about, the sort of scanning of photos going into into iCloud. Maybe we could start there and you could just describe sort of what has Apple said they're going to do in the near future?
4: Right. So Apple uh, last week released a set of white papers that explained a new system that they were going to roll out in their next major release of iOS, that's the operating system that runs on iPhones and iPads, as well as eventually the new version of Mac OS, which runs on the full laptops that you buy from Apple. And in this next major release, which is supposed to happen this fall, what they've done is they've taken that matching process that traditionally happened in the servers of a Google or a Facebook or a Microsoft, and they've moved all of that into the device itself. They've done so with a bunch of cute math, so it's not the same, algorithm. It is not the same kind of matching process. Um, there's a lot of kind of mathematical complexity that they've added here um, because there's a bunch of concerns about um, you You actually, you have to be very careful with these hashes. You don't want to expose them to abusers so they can see whether their images are in there. Um, there are concerns about, you know, they've done things that you have to have a certain number of hits on the device, but effectively what they've done is they've shipped all this stuff that used to be in the servers and they're putting it on your phone. Mm-hmm. And if you have iCloud Photos on, which is the, the, the feature the way that basically
2: everybody uses an iPhone is to have iCloud photos on Yeah, exactly. Mostly. It is
4: It is a service they push very hard, right? Like if, if you walk through your Apple setup in the way Apple wants you to, you're using iCloud photos, right? right? If you have that turned on, then they're going to, on your phone, scan all of your photos, whether they're shared or not, to see whether they match up with a list of about 300,000 of these images. That is yeah. a subset of the lists that are used by google and facebook they haven't defined why it's three hundred thousand versus the millions and millions that are scanned by the company the other mm-hmm. companies um, but they will be doing that work on the phone and they'll be looking at every photo you have on your device
2: yeah jennifer granick um with the aclu does it matter to you that this scanning is happening on the phone level versus in the cloud
5: i think that is the big reason why there is so much controversy and so much um really outrage about this move And, you know, traditionally, as Alex said, this type of scanning has happened on the company's servers in the company's cloud. And with this feature, what Apple's done is taken a step to where the scanning happens on your phone in your pocket. And that is a very big difference. So while Apple has, you know, put forward a number of things they say are safeguards to try that, you know, they say will mean that this scanning is limited to, or to photos that are going to be uploaded to iPhotos and will limit the amount of information that Apple has. Once you put this scanning technology into our own devices, the capability uh, there is to scan for any kind of material, um, whether it's going to be shared or not, for any kind of content, not just for CSAM. And so people are really concerned that that's where this uh, new technology is heading.
2: Given how tightly integrated cloud services are now with our actual devices, what why is the device level so important, though?
5: I mean, the device is where everything that you do happens these days. What you search for, how long you linger, who your friends are, who you talk to, what you talk about. These are all things that, you know, when I was growing up and um, we're... Just you know, things that disappeared. Nobody knew who you spoke with, what you said, um, what you researched in the library, what questions you asked. But there, all of these things are memorialized today um, on the devices that you use, and you know, often with cloud services, but especially with the ways that you connect to the internet and the ways that you connect to each other. So, if you move surveillance from the cloud into your devices, your pocket, your computer, your phone. There's so much more information that is available um, that way and and available in a way where you cannot hide it. You cannot make the choice not to upload this information or not to use this service.
2: And I, I want to talk, Alex Samuels, about the the other big move that Apple announced here. And we're going to come back to this whole complex of issues, but just we're laying the table out here for people. Um, they also introduced a new type of scanning on messages sent between phones for people using iCloud family accounts. Can you tell us a little more about how that works?
4: Yeah. So there's a, a t- this is one of the complexities here is they've announced all these things at the same time and they're quite different and they have quite different privacy impacts. The the other thing they announced was that they are now going to be scanning child accounts who use iMessage. This is the messaging service, you know, between iOS devices for nudity. Not necessarily child nudity, just any kind of nudity. They're doing that scan on the device itself, just like in the other case. They've, they've built a machine learning model that they will be building into the operating system. Um, and if you have a child account that is part of a family account, if that child is under 13, and they get an image, or they're sending an image that has nudity in it, then they get a warning that says, if you want to see this image, your parents will be notified. If they are between 13 and 17, there's no notification, but it still gives the warning to the kid. Um, This is due to a whole different set of kind of child, of of abusive um, abuses that happen. When we talk about the trading of CSAM, you're talking about a conspiracy between adults who are doing something that they know is illegal, they're trying to keep it secret, and they're they're not trying to harm each other, they're trying to harm a child that is not part of the conversation. But there's a bunch of bad things that happen to kids when adults reach out to them. The other thing that happens these days is you have teenagers trading naked photos, and that sometimes gets them in trouble. Um, Jennifer can speak as to the actual legality here, um, but in my my understanding is that you know when. Teenagers um, are sending naked photos of each other of themselves to each other, even in a consenting situation, they can create legal liability for themselves. And certainly if one of those teenagers sends it to another, then it creates like a, a real set of really difficult legal problems. And there have been kids who have actually been prosecuted for this um, in different parts of the country. And so Apple is now responding, I think, to those two issues of both sexting between teenagers, creating kind of legal problems for themselves, as well as the possibility of an adult reaching out to a child, either to send them naked photo or to Get them to send naked photos, um, that's often called sextortion, and it is uh, one of the the worst things that happens. Um, it is something that uh, my team worked on a lot at Facebook because this was a significant issue on both Instagram and Facebook Messenger, and it is a it is a crime that has really huge impact on a kid.
2: Yeah, Jennifer Granick, um, on the on the legal side of these issues, is there something that Apple? can help? I mean, is this actually going to help uh, kids who find themselves getting themselves into legal trouble?
5: Well, I, I think we have to accept that, you know, kids are interested in sex and nudity and kids are going to talk to each other about it. And today these conversations happen over text messaging. And so... The question is, how do you, um, you know, how do you, how do you do that, and with how does the company make sure it's not doing that in a way where, you know, innocent activity is um, criminalized or punished by parents who aren't really the right people to or the kid can trust.
2: We're talking about Apple's announcement last week that it will adopt new child abuse detection tools with Jennifer Granick, Surveillance and Cybersecurity Council with the ACLU, and Alex Stamos, director of the Stanford Internet Observatory. What are your questions or concerns about Apple's decision? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Apple's announcement last week that it will adopt new child abuse detection tools with Alex Stamos, director of the Stanford Internet Observatory, and Jennifer Granick, Surveillance and Cybersecurity Council with the American Civil Liberties Union. We'd also like to welcome Teresa Weizar, executive director of the National Children's Alliance, to the show. Welcome, Teresa.
6: Thank you for having me.
2: So uh, we're going to invite our listeners in, too, and then we're going to come to Teresa. Um, Listeners, what are your questions or concerns about Apple's decision? And if you're a parent, what would you like to see technology companies do to protect your children on their platforms? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We are at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, Teresa, we is our executive director of the National Children's Alliance. Um, What's your perspective on Apple's uh, announcement?
6: Well, I think it's a very positive move. I think that in the past, I think technology companies have either tried to pretend that they have no responsibility for the proliferation of child abuse images um, in their repositories. Or alternatively, they've been very reactive and waited until things have gotten completely out of hand And sort of cried, oh my gosh, what are we supposed to do with tens of millions of such abusive images? So I think it's the right approach to take a proactive one and say, let's prevent these from being uploaded. And if they are uploaded, let's recognize that immediately and deal with that immediately. Um, So I applaud Apple for taking this step and I hope others will do the same.
2: So within the technology world, other companies were already doing things. So to you, what really differentiates Apple's approach?
6: Well, I think that what other technology uh, folks have done often is sort of wait for a considerable period of time for essentially investigative teams to identify that there's a particular IPO address that is Um, trading child porn, and then to go through the process, you know, this long sort of involved process of trying to obtain information about who owns that, how, whatever. I think what Apple has recognized is that first of all, while some child abuse images are uploaded, you know, on laptops or desktops, really so much of this is happening on people's mobile devices, on their phones, which they carry on their person. And so if someone's trying to upload that um, into the iCloud from their phone, and in order to even do that, you know, often in your settings, you have to have two-factor authentication to set your settings so that it will automatically or upload in a bunch. It makes it easy to identify who, when, and how that happened. And I think that that is very beneficial. I would say the other thing is that it's also an important signal um, of responsibility. I mean, what tech company really wants to act as a library of child porn? And so, unfortunately, that has been the case in many circumstances. And so, I think that it's a case of both Apple deciding that you know they don't want to have that and be responsible for those once they're in their system; better to keep them out in the beginning or readily identify them. And I think it's also a moral good.
2: Um, uh, Alex Stamus, you Stamos, you've been. Um... In cases where prosecutions have resulted from the things that your teams at at Yahoo and Facebook discovered, do you think this will actually help to actually get the bad guys? If because that's that's at the end of the day what what is uh, people are, are trying to do?
4: You know, so I I have different opinions about the two different things here. So the, the scanning sure. of iMessage for nudity, I think is a reasonably balanced thing. I, I think the privacy impacts are pretty minimal. Um, as a parent, I think having the capability to have that control is good. Um, it will That will not end up with a lot of bad guys being prosecuted because Apple has still not done what a basic thing that almost every other company has done is there's, there's still no ability to report abuse to Apple. So, you know, anybody who goes to an iPhone, if you go to an iMessage and you get spam or something, mm-hmm. or if somebody sends you a death threat, or they send you a, a naked image that you didn't ask for, um, There's nothing you can do to tell Apple that that happened. Uh, All you can do is block the number. And I think that is what's missing from that side of what Apple did, is that there's no reporting structure unlike... WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and Google Chat and all of the other messengers. Um, and so as a result, if a child is getting either extorted for images or if they're getting unwanted imagery from an adult, there's nothing they can do to report it to a child safety team at Apple. All they can do is all it will do is block it. So I think that's a good first step, but I would prefer that they build the same kind of reporting functions out of things. On and they, the obviously
2: know, sorry, uh, Alex, they obviously know they have that problem, so why haven't they built that, that team? I mean, I, I'm looking at... Um, Some text messages that were that came out during a lawsuit between Apple and Epic where one of their one of Apple's engineers um, actually sort of acknowledges that they're uh, he says this. I'm quoting here, uh, which is why we're the greatest platform for distributing child porn, et cetera. And then says, here's the key. We have chosen to not know in enough places where we really cannot say. So if they if this was a known problem inside at least by some people at Apple. Like, why wasn't that kind of team built out?
4: I, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say. I, I think, I mean, my guess is big, Apple has always considered themselves a hardware and a, pro, you know, a product company that makes like these beautiful pieces, $1,000 pieces of glass uh, that people pay for. They haven't considered themselves a service company, but they are a massive service provider. They are a massive communications platform, you know, with something like over a billion. They don't release the exact numbers, but they definitely have over a billion users on iMessage um, and iCloud. Uh, and so they've never really taken responsibility for that. And I think that they're they're all of a sudden doing it. And I I'm glad that Apple has taken responsibility. I wish they would do so in a a more aggressive way on the iMessage side, on the scanning on the device side, I think it is problematic um, in that, uh, one, it doesn't really make sense right now. So one of the theories that's floating around is that they're gonna significantly change how iCloud photos are encrypted up in the cloud because they could have implemented this in the same manner as a Facebook or Google and avoided the problems of pushing it onto the device. Um, So I think one of the problems is is we're having this discussion without a full understanding of what Apple's roadmap looks like. Mm. But even assuming that's the case, a better move here is if the problem is people sharing iCloud albums, so they have, you have this ability to share hundreds or thousands of images with other people in iCloud, then you just decide not to end and encrypt that specific feature because you're you're worried about it being abused. And I think that would have been kind of a much more traditional option here that would have avoided a lot of these problems. Yeah. Jennifer
2: Granick, I also want to give you a chance to respond to um, Teresa Weizar. Did you have any thoughts about her, her framing of the problem?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of assumptions here that we need to take a step back and, and question. I think one is what the company's current and past practice has been, what the accuracy of these tools is, what other choices there are out there to address these problems and, you know, sort of the level of responsibility that we have for companies policing people's private behavior. Um, so, you know, as Alex was um, intimating, current currently Apple could do this scanning Um, on iPhotos in the cloud, and other companies do that. Um, It's not that difficult. As photos are uploaded, they check them against this hash or fingerprint database. And these platforms collect information about us when we log on to our accounts that has identifying information, including IP addresses. Um, There is a huge backlog of these cases, um, but that is not because companies do not collect enough information about us. They collect an immense amount of information about us And the things you do online are not anonymous and not untrackable on these major platforms. Um, So these tools that are being introduced, we have real questions about what the accuracy is of them, particularly with the identification of nudity. Um, This is supposed to be something that's going to be machine learning, but that's not a magic bullet. And we don't know how it works and it doesn't appear that there's going to be any availability of any kind of independent testing Um, really you know, people are going to be the guinea pigs for this and they'll get a warning on their phone. And our concern is that, you know, this nudity is not illegal. um, And that the concern about this is that instead of catching the kind of nudity that is illegal, these CSAM images, um, it will catch other important health information or, you know, communications between teenagers, which are lawful, um, but will end up getting these people in the, the, Children in trouble with their parents, which is a particular problem for LGBT youth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes there's reasons they're not talking to the parents about, you know, what they talk to their friends about. Um, you know, there are, ultimately, you know, the question is, do you get any private space? And in, you know, traditionally we had lots of private space in our homes, in our conversations when we went for a walk with our friends. Um, that is decreasingly true. And this step by Apple makes that even less true because even the machines you have in your home are conducting surveillance
2: upon you. So we have a lot of comments coming in from listeners, and I want to bounce um, some of these to to you all. Uh, First, a listener tweets, "Um, this is long overdue. And as a parent, I felt there haven't been nearly enough protections for children online. However, if only Apple is taking these steps, won't people just use other phones or operating systems to get around it? Teresa Huizar?
6: Well, first of all, I think that um, any photo or video sharing or storage platform has the same problem, you know, fundamentally, which is that if someone wants to. Um, record abusive images and or share them. In all cases, they're not sharing them with anybody else. They may just be recording them for their own pleasure and reviewing those over time. They all have the same problem and they all need to address it. You know, It's not enough to sort of harken back to the day when you sort of said, well, we designed Facebook for one thing and now it's being abused for another or the same thing for Apple or any other. There's a responsibility to understand that once you've developed a technology, there are going to be consequences and unintended ones um, that arise from that, and you have to deal with those. So um, so I think that, yes, in the technology world, um, not only all the players that are out there now, but all that will be in the future have the same uh, issue that needs to be addressed.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring in our first caller, Mia from Menlo Park. Hi there. This,
3: um, thank you guys very much for for doing this. And um, I actually really, I, I also applaud Apple for, for doing this. I think it's also long overdue. Um, I, I just, I have one question sort of an aside. Um, in the past companies, I, I feel like, I, I know they've taken a two-pronged approach to this in reviewing this content. It's been both human and um, with hash software or um, sometimes in-house software. Um, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, I guess my question is that now Apple is going to have to presumably hire, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of humans, people Mm -hmm. come in and review this content. And, uh, you know, I've worked at a couple of these companies where I've known people who have reviewed this content and it is, it is. And we're seeing some of the effects of that, um, you know, in, in the press and in other places, like it causes real PTSD. Like this is something that has effects on them mm. as well. Like while I know it is a necessary evil, like this is something that like people are getting PTSD. People are. I mean, like you just are watching these images come up real time, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of times a day, and it's horrid right. images. So Th-
2: things you can't. I guess see. that's
3: sort yeah. of. Yeah, I guess that's sort of my my question or my comment. I, I'll take that offline.
2: Sure. Thank you, Mia. Um, Alex, I've, this one's for you, obviously. You've run teams with this kind of responsibility.
4: Yeah, it's incredibly hard. So uh, first off, I'm going to push it back a little bit against Teresa's implication that tech companies don't care. Um, I ran a team that all we did was investigate the abuse of children. We had a wall of offenders we put in jail. I guarantee that people on my team had more arrests than even retired FBI agents of child molesters. We were doing our part of scanning every single image that went through the platform, reporting 20 million times um, to Nick Mick, which ends up with hundreds or thousands of prosecutions. There is a a downstream issue here of not having the resources and especially local law enforcement not being applied. And then we had full-time investigators who would go bust up rings that went well beyond just our one platform because we thought it was the right thing to do. So, and that is incredibly difficult work. It, the people who choose to do this, whether at the tech companies or in law enforcement, social psychologists, child psychologists, um, people who are um, professionals who work at the child advocacy centers, put themselves in incredible psychological danger. And it is incredibly difficult. I'll, I'll let Jennifer speak to the legality, but i um, While you can do automatic scanning, there's actually a big court case that was handed down a couple years ago that changed this whole model in that um, now an a employee of a company has to witness the crime. And so even when you have an automatic report, a human being has to go and basically check a box that says, I see a crime happening so that that person can be prosecuted. Um, and so that that has increased the load, increased the difficulty. Um, at a tech company, what we would do is we'd have special psychological counseling for people. We'd have um, external psychologists on staff. Uh, there's a conference called the Crime Against Children Conference that we go to every year. And there's actually a big discussion there about the resiliency for people who do this. The other thing you do is you rotate folks. And so we'd have people who'd work on child safety for six months. Um, and then they'd go spend a year doing fraud or terrorism or the other, you know, quote unquote, lighter things that would happen on the platform. Um, and, but it is, it, I mean, it is an incredibly difficult thing. The nice thing when you go to that crimes against children conference is it's thousands of people who could do anything else with their life and they've decided to protect children. So there is an upside of like, you see these people who have dedicated their lives to it. Um, but it is totally true that there is a a real impact Mm -hmm. on the human beings that fight this.
2: Jennifer, um, On the court case that Alex just mentioned, that was a sort of Neil Gorsuch decision right before he was on the Supreme Court and basically held that if the tech companies automatically forwarded reports um, into a governmental entity, then it was an illegal search and seizure. Is that correct?
5: Not exactly. Uh, The issue is the question of what can government agents see without a warrant? And um, there's an exception to the warrant requirement called the private search doctrine, which means that if a private entity has seen everything that a government, you know, everything before it goes to a government entity, then the government agency isn't invading your privacy anymore. So they don't need a warrant to view that thing. And the important thing about the Gorsuch decision was it was a case that held that NICMAC, as this special agency empowered by statute, is an agent of the government. That so was for, the
2: National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. For,
5: and and it, is, it is a legal requirement for companies that find CSAM to report it to NICMAC. And so the opinion said, well, NICMEC's a a law enforcement or a government, a state agency, for NICMEC to view these things, it either needs a warrant or it needs to rely on the fact that somebody else has viewed this information. So really what's happened is that the burden of viewing this information has been pushed onto employees of these platforms so that the FBI and NICMEC don't have to go and get a warrant in order to examine the image itself, which is... Uh, just another alternative. I'd like Uh, to say something, if I can, about responsibility, um, because I think there's something that's being missed in this conversation so far, which is that, you know, Apple has altruistic motives here. I I don't have doubts that this is built on the company's sense of responsibility, but the company is responsible for how this technology is going to be used. And there are really no strong barriers that are going to stop this technology from being used to scan images or documents that are not being shared or scan against different hash databases, maybe for content that's been labeled as terrorism in other countries, content that's been labeled as, um, you know, sedition or information about organizing for human rights or those sorts of things. So one of the reasons why people are so concerned about this scanning being pushed to the device and having, you know, what's being scanned for being hidden from the public is because we see this as a uh, kind of first step or opening the door to abusive monitoring of the information that people have that's private on our phones.
2: And Apple has responded to that basically saying, we won't do that, correct?
5: I mean, that's, Apple may try to say that now, but um, you know, Times change and Apple may have it, you know, here in this country or especially in other countries, a legal responsibility once they build this tool to use it the way that the government wants it to be used, to look for things that are not per se illegal and do not have a you know, relationship to child safety, but for political speech or for, um, you know, other kinds of important conversations. And, you know, this is a, the iPhone still distributed globally. And this is a global tool. So that abuse by governments around the world is a serious problem.
2: Thank you. We're talking about Apple's announcement last week that it will adopt new child abuse detection tools with Jennifer Granick, Surveillance and Cybersecurity Council with the American Civil Liberties Union, Teresa Weizar, uh, Executive Director of the National Children's Alliance, and Alex Stamos, Director of the Stanford Internet Observatory, What are your questions or concerns about Apple's decision? We've got a bunch of those coming in. And do you think that you have enough privacy online? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more Forum after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Apple's announcement last week that it's adopting new child abuse detection tools with Alex Stamos, director of the Stanford Internet Observatory, Jennifer Granick of the ACLU, and Teresa Weizar, uh, the executive director of the National Children's Alliance. We have a bunch of sort of nuts and bolts questions, which I want to toss to you first, Alex Stamos. Um, Jesse writes, so are you saying that all those nude photos we take in private are scanned by Apple? So, Alex, can you kind of address what, what's being
4: scanned here? Right. No, so no. So if, if, if you are just taking photos yourself of nudes uh, and storing it in iPhoto, they're not looking for whether there's nudity. So again, there's two totally different separate, separate things here. If you sent a nude photo to a child— then yes, it's going to be scanned on the child's device. Although there's no notification of law enforcement, it's it's just blocked on the device. Um, what, what Apple is scanning for on adult devices is matches against exact photos that have been seen and that have been traded. I expect it is the worst of the worst of child pornography. Um, the list that Apple is talking about is 200 to 300,000 images. The list that Facebook and Google use are in the millions. And so I expect it is... Um, what, what is called A1, uh, which is, uh, I, I'm not going to explain for your users, uh, the, the ranking system here, but is the worst of the worst of it. Um, and so, no, that is not the problem. That being said, kind of the concern here is the use of machine learning to notify people and to lo- notify law enforcement is a new thing. Like, machine learning scans your photos all the time. I, I think people don't really understand. If you take a photo on an I, on, on an iPhone it's not just capturing what's out of the image. The iPhone actually takes multiple photos and then it uses machine learning to assemble it into something that, that looks pretty. Um, they scan all of your photos so that you can search for the word dog or you can do facial recognition and such, search for your kids' names. Um, that's been going on for a long time. The difference is, is that now there is a situation in which Apple will alert law enforcement based upon what happens on your device, which is the really kind of, it's the frightening seal that they have unsealed here. Got it.
2: Um, Laurie writes, Will there be a feature that allows a parent to determine whether the photos they have posted of their child on Facebook or Instagram um, or uh, other places, I assume, are being shared among child porn websites? I have concerns about a friend who regularly posts photos of their young son from birth to his preteen years, naked in the bathtub, playing in his undies, and so on. Parents who otherwise might think these photos are harmless and innocent might want to know if the case is otherwise. So I think one of the scenarios that's sort of contemplated by this question is that somebody takes an innocent picture, it gets adopted into this CSAM world, and then they get flagged for that. Do you think that is a real concern, Jennifer? Uh,
5: I I doubt that people who are in child pornography trading rings are looking at photos of, you know, people's kids uh, mm-hmm. in their diapers.
2: Got
4: it. Yeah. There's actually a bunch of case law around this, Alexis. Like the term is lavicious exhibition of, of a child. And, it, and so... Um, so, one, I mean, personally, I just would not recommend you upload naked photos of your kids for other sissy, right? Because it is true that child pornographers could trade those and such. Um, that being said, generally, like, a innocent bathtub picture is not going to end up in a database, um, although it is it is a, it is a, an outside possibility. I think it's extremely unlikely in this case because, like I said, my expectation just based upon the numbers is that Apple is skimming off the top the worst of the worst here.
2: Got it. Got it. Um, I want to bring in Dave from Marin City. Welcome to the show, Dave.
4: Uh, hi
0: there. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you for the program. Um, just remember, uh, we live in a country where, uh, among other things, a widespread broad ownership of a legitimate, effective press and cameras, which belong to individuals, have already been removed by rampant, unchecked corporate greed. Uh, as a, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, I, was, I was an electronics tech from boyhood, a computer in the 90s. And as a technician in the 2000s who oversaw, who archived, you know, I archived symphony recordings and so on for a community college and oversaw their entire fine arts department, photo, Pro Tools and Photoshop classrooms uh, and, for, and their faculty machines across the transition from proprietary to Intel. I worked very hard that whole time to maintain the privacy of students. I had to go against Apple's software at the time and use third-party stuff to maintain privacy of staff and students on those machines. Um, this development by Apple is yet another step showing how monopoly by corporations has overreached into privacy of individuals who've already had their rights taken away and given to corporate interests. Thank you, and I'll take my response off the air.
2: Um, let's do, uh, quickly, Teresa, do you want to uh, address that, and then we'll go to Jennifer?
6: Quickly, I mean, I do think in these situations there's a lot of slippery slope talk, right? You immediately that immediately comes up either with listeners or um, panelists that it's a it's a terribly a terrible slippery slope, I'm not sure that it is. I mean, what what Apple has done is limited. I mean, to Alex's point, there's more they could have done and didn't. And so I think that while we do need to be careful and be mindful about how technology is used and uh, to our panelists point, particularly as it relates to um, the way it could be used in other countries, I also think we need to remember that we have victims in the here and now and their lives are really affected in the here and now. You know, As someone who heads uh, 926 children's advocacy centers well aware of the trauma of listening to um, accounts of abuse or seeing images of abuse but you know who has the most trauma the actual victims of it and we should really keep that in mind that you know for someone to know that an image of them lives out there forever and is being traded on and on and on you know really is not just a crime in the legal sense it's a moral crime for them and they have have long lasting damage from that. And I think that, um, you know, we often get into a lot of hypotheses about what could happen in the future, but we're also trying to solve a problem in the here and now that has a real impact on kids and families. So I just want to be a voice for that in the conversation that it's not to negate all the valuable concerns about privacy and other kinds of things, but we also can't set aside the needs and concerns of victims either.
5: I don't think we want to rank victims though. I mean, one of the the main concern about moving this type of scanning to the device and having hash databases that are, you know, potentially controlled by our government or by other governments is that the information about what people are doing on their phone will be used to victimize other people, either because they are Uyghurs or because they are, um, you know, political opponents or because they are human rights activists or because they are, I mean, if you look around the world, government persecution is a um, fact of life. And the question is, is Apple or other companies building technology that's going to feed into that abuse? And that's the concern. And that's not speculative.
2: Let's uh, bring in JC from Santa Rosa. Hi, JC. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I, just, I had a question, um, you know, taking a step back and
1: looking at the, the background of big, big tech getting regulated. And it really is just, you know, what, what statutes, what law, what case law that was mentioned, um, you know, would govern, you know, what Apple has done. But more importantly, what, what governmental entities would be responsible uh, for regulating, having hearings, discussing. You know what? I think some would term is is the government's role to regulate, you know, privacy for individuals, constitutional law, uh, as well as protecting consumers. Um, So I'm just
0: interested to see who who
1: would take a look at this action and say, yeah, that's cool. No, it's illegal. Hey, we as a society should have a broader discussion about big tech and and how and where and if this is going to be folded into that larger discussion. Yeah,
2: Thank you so much, uh, JC. Alex Damos, do you want to take that one?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So in the United States, the whole, this whole chi- child safety apparatus is, is a little bit bizarre in that companies are legally required to report child abuse if we witness it but we're not required to look, right? So that's like the weird balancing act between for the Fourth and Fifth Amendment here is that the companies are voluntarily doing this work. Apple did not have to do this. Google and, and Facebook do not have to scan their images. But once they look, if they see it, they have to report it. Uh, my concern about the Apple stuff is actually mostly outside the United States, right? Like, it turns out the Fourth and Fifth Amendments are pretty special. Like, we should be pretty happy that we have these kinds of civil liberties. Even among other democracies, they have very broad... Um, uh, abilities for law enforcement to do preemptive searches. And there's legislation already pending. So in the EU, it's called the Digital Services Act, where there's a big fight over whether companies are going to have to scan stuff proactively for hate speech for a bunch of things that are protected by the U.S. First Amendment but are not protected in Europe. Um, there's the Online Safety Act in the United Kingdom. And then right now, the the Hindu nationalist government, the BJP in India, is in a fight with Silicon Valley about both the privacy of people who are fighting that government as well as censorship. And so my concern about what Apple did here is actually mostly outside the United States and mm. that th- we have these kind of pre-built vehicles to to enlist Silicon Valley on behalf of these governments against their citizens. And it will be very simple for them to amend those to now push, oh, now that Apple has demonstrated this capability, this is a capability that should be deployed for what they consider illegal speech, which is a much broader set of illegal speech than what we do in the United States.
2: Also, given the complexity of regulating this at the national or international levels, you'd also been working with a group of different companies and child advocates to try and balance these things before the Apple decision, right? Does this disrupt any of those other efforts?
4: Yeah. I mean, one of my real frustrations with Apple here uh, is that there have been a bunch of people who have been meeting on this. Um, and for a couple of years and, uh, Apple just kind of busted through the wall, like the Kool-Aid man, uh, back in those old commercials. This is a reference I can't make in front of my students at Stanford. Cause they just look at me blankly. Right. But I'm guessing forum listeners un- remember <laughs> They'll the, get uh, it. They'll get the Kool-Aid it. man. Yeah. Um, so yes. Yeah, so starting in 2019 at Stanford, we started assembling, a bunch of different people from different equities. So we've had members, we've had representatives of NickMic, we've had THORN, which is another child safety advocacy group, we've had the FBI, uh, we had the, the Deputy Attorney General come, um, we had GCHQ from the UK and the UK Safety Office, we also had ACLU, Jennifer has actually been at our meetings, um, and the EFF, um, we've had advocacy groups from India um, and from some other developing democracies. and. Like, nobody agrees totally, but I feel like we were having a good process of discussing, discussing how can we have some kind of solution to the abuse that happens on end-to-end encryption. Unfortunately, Apple did not participate in those and did not address with anybody else. Like, if they don't want to come to our things, it's fine, but it seems pretty clear that they talked to almost nobody before they rolled this out, and that is one of the things that they have done here is they've poisoned the conversation because they... You know, they they didn't pre-brief anybody. They didn't get that kind of input. And now there's, you know, I think client-side scanning is actually a really powerful tool for protecting children on end-encrypted networks. And they've kind of poisoned the well for on the, the civil liberties and privacy side towards that. Um, and then they've they've also pushed everybody into their corners. So yeah. I'm, it is frustrating to see Apple go their own way here because there is a huge community of people who actually care about this. They have different equities, but they're they're willing to talk. Yeah. And it would be great if Apple engaged them.
2: And obviously, we did try to get Apple onto the show, no surprise, we don't have them. Um, I'd like to bring in caller uh, Hari from Fremont.
7: Hey guys, thank you for the program. Um, uh, I I just wanna start off by saying that all the opinion I express is of my own and not of my company. Not that I'm gonna say which company I work for, but (laughs) I've been in the Bay Area. Uh, I've worked with PhotoDNA, NECMEC, THON, and Alex brings up a really good point about client-side scanning. Um, I've been physically in rooms where we have reviewed, and my fellow engineer had a spit bucket where we had to throw up every couple of hours, Oof. depending on the CSAM we see, so we really understand uh, the nature of this. I'm also a father of two young kids, so this is my conundrum, and I work in privacy and policy in the Bay Area and the tech companies right now. Nine to five, when I do my job, I'm all for privacy. You know, We don't want people you know, doing intrusive stuff. We don't want companies doing intrusive stuff. We don't want governments doing intrusive stuff. But when I go back, when I play with my children and I think about everything I do at work, I'm torn between where do we draw the line, right? I want to protect my children, and surveillance to keep my children safe seems okay to me at the personal level. So I think I don't have a question, I'm just a passing comment here. Is it possible for us to just actually take CSAM and carve out CSAM conversation separately from everything else on privacy? To Alex's point, uh, clients side Scanning on the phone devices and every device you use could really move the needle on CSAM identification, right? That's something that we need desperately to, you know, keep our children safe and to care for the victims. But how do we not conflate this with overall privacy? Is there anything we as a society can do, we as a government or we as tech, Bay Area tech industry can do to keep these two things separate so we actually move the needle on CSAM? but do care for privacy and others. That's just a
2: passing yeah. from my myself. Yeah, Hari, thank you so much for, for that and thanks for the work you've been doing. I think the question that, that I heard in there is, is it possible that CSAM can just be a world apart and that we create a moat around that and we try and solve that problem without um, any of the privacy erosions from that particular realm or domain moving um, outside into our overall privacy protections. What do you think, Jennifer? And just so everyone remembers, CSAM is child sexual abuse material. I mean, what we would normally call child pornography. Um, Jennifer?
5: I mean, technologically, I think Apple has, you know, tried to walk this line, but it has created, it's you know, software is software. It can be re- rewritten. And, you know, promises or promises, they they can be broken. But I think to some extent what we're doing here is we're looking for the keys under the lamppost. And there's so much digital information out there that there's this enticement to think that if we want to stop child abuse, we should look at the digital information. Um, and I think that you know people who who study this, there are many ways that you can address different forms of child abuse that do not result in a surveillance state and don't mean that all that we have no more privacy anymore. Don't have that shift of the balance of power from you know basically the government having access to so much of this information about us. And companies have been exploring this, whether it's looking at, you know, traffic data, dealing with where child abuse happens, giving, you know, so so addressing some of those issues. I, I think it's a little bit of a, you know, you can't pretend that, you know, basically surveillance of all this information is going to solve the problem.
2: I'd like to bring in caller Karen from Berkeley. Hi hey Karen. Hi, go ahead. I
1: just want to. Hi, I've worked in the field of child abuse prevention for a very long time, and with adult uh, abuse as well. And I think we're long overdue to stop always obsessing over people's rights to information and access to data on the internet saying that we're violating their rights as a person of color. You know, when you look at neo-Nazi material that's on there and no one wants to take responsibility for things that happen, like January the 6th, I think we have to protect children. We have to put their safety first. And I think we need to stop overthinking the process of Whose rights are we really protecting? Are we protecting pedophiles or are we pre- protecting the next generation, which is our children? There are ways to do it, but stopping the whole train when it's just getting started. I have to applaud Apple. I really think it's long overdue. And I think a lot of other uh, uh, Facebook and everyone else has to join that train in order to stop child pornography. And I, I'm just really fed up with the line of we have to protect our privacy at everyone's cost. Children,
2: it's just it's just too much it's too much. Thank you. Thank you for that, Karen. Um, Alex Damos, I assume that you have you have dealt with these issues for, for such a long time. What do you want to see going forward that would actually sort of move the needle on protecting children?
4: Yeah. So uh, as, on a society level, I think we have to th- we have to do a bunch of work to take what the existing 20 million or so reports that are happening every year and do something with it, right? So we have one of these problems is that the pipeline of reports in which the, the US government knows that these children are being abused, a tiny, tiny fraction uh, of those of those people are arrested or sent to any kind of treatment um, or, or or, you know, handled it all. And and that is, I think, the first thing, right? Like we're already sitting on like a massive amount of data from the existing companies. Um, and so Ron Wyden had a build here. Um, it's a little bit complicated because you end up with a, like a local law enforcement versus a federal law enforcement issue. Um, but there's a lot that can be done there. In Apple specific, this is what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Apple work on a real reporting mechanism for iMessage for all kinds of abuse. I'd like to see them do a lot more on the machine learning side. I think that was great to try to protect children from messages that reach them. I think there's a lot of work to be done there. I'd like them to pull back on the CSAM scanning and think about doing that in the server with like everybody else does, because I think they've created a precedent here that at least in an international context is going to be very, very problematic. Um, and I think we need to have much more open conversation about this, because as you can hear from your callers, people care a lot about this. Yeah. Um, but in a democratic society, this is something that needs to be openly yeah. discussed, not just decided in boardrooms and tech companies.
2: We've been talking about Apple's announcement that it will adopt new child abuse detection tools with Alex Damos, director of the Stanford Internet Observatory, Jennifer Granick, Surveillance and Cybersecurity Council at the ACLU, and Teresa Weizar with the National Children's Alliance. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour with Mina Kim. Funds for the production
3: of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.